0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. We would have thought four months ago uh, that staying in place would become an everyday phrase, uh, that Zoom meetings would become the norm for many people, uh, working from home, Uh, social distancing uh, as well as wearing a mask wherever you go would become in every way the new norm in life Uh, but with that we're well aware that for many people anxiety stress and worry uh, is escalating Uh, and even more so as you look toward reopening rephasing going back somewhat to what is considered normal but that's not just a reality for people who don't know Christ, it's also a concern for many Christians who find themselves at times anxious, worried, not sure how to handle the new norm. Uh, So is there a way that the Bible will guide us in finding certainty and stability in days of uncertainty and instability? Uh, And so I wanna encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 102. Because in the 102nd Psalm, not only tells us what we can do, but also how to go about doing that uh, by giving us three very clear steps. Uh, And so we're going to consider what are the steps that, that we need to take as followers of God that will enable us in uncertain times where no one knows what the future holds and what the new normal will actually look like. Uh, what can we do that would put us in a position of having certainty no matter what? Uh, And so you notice in Psalm 102, you have a a subscription or a title to this psalm. Uh, And This is true in many psalms, not all psalms, but notice the the title that's given. It says, a prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. This is a very unique superscription. In other words, it's unique because it appears to designate this psalm to a particular individual in a particular situation. Now, as you go through the psalm, you'll see it is broad enough, though, that it relates to whatever anxieties, crisis, or concern we might be facing. Uh, But this is unique among all the psalms In the book of Psalms, this is the only one that has this kind of very specific title. And who of us can't at times have said we felt afflicted, that that we felt as if we're overwhelmed with the magnitude of things maybe going on in our life or in the life of a family member? Uh, Who of us has never felt not only that we're not afflicted, but we feel faint. Uh, We feel weak. Uh, We feel ourselves almost saying, I don't know how much more I can take. And so that says to us, this psalm was written not just for whatever situation may have been affecting the writer of this or the community of Israel. Uh, It's relevant to every follower of God today. What do you do? What steps do you take when you find yourself living in the midst of a crisis? And so the first step we want to look at is to call out to the Lord. Uh, now, this may sound so simple, but it needs to be stated. We need to call out to the Lord. Uh, and you see this in particular in this psalm, which is categorized as a lament. Now, the word lament is a literary style. Uh, there are certain psalms that are actually called psalms of lament. Uh, what it is, is a... <clears throat> Plea—a calling out to God in the midst of a crisis for deliverance. So imagine a present crisis that you are in, and you're calling out to God in in brutal honesty and despair, because the situation in and of itself is overwhelming. And so we need to call out to the God, to call out to the Lord. But if you look with me at this particular psalm, you may have noticed something when I was reading it, that this plea is to be first a passionate plea. So when we call out to God, it must be a passionate plea. Uh, it's it's sincere. Uh, it is needed. It is necessary. Because you notice in this psalm, verses 1 through 11, and verses really 23 through Almost the end of it, the personal pronoun is used I. But you also notice that in the second half, kind of verses 12 through 22, it becomes a cry of the community of God's people. So it's unusual in that it is both an individual event, like an individual's facing a crisis, but this crisis also affects the community. I can't think of what a better way to think of when we talk about. Um, you know, COVID-19, when we are just talking now about the rioting going on in uh, different places throughout our nation, that, that is touching us in one way or another, and especially as believers, it affects us because we're thinking of other believers in those areas. And how are they supposed to handle this crisis that is overwhelming and, in many ways, beyond their ability to control the circumstances. Well, we need to call out to the Lord with a with a passionate plea. And so in this Psalm, um, in verses one and two, you have some stock Old Testament phrases, almost as if they're, they're red flags being waved at you, that here's language that shows a passionate plea in the Old Testament to God. And so in verse one, you have the phrase, hear my cry. Then again in verse one, let my cry for help. Verse two, do not hide your face from me. And then again in verse two, turn your ear to me. These are phrases you hear often in the Old Testament, where the people are calling out with everything they have for God to act and for God to provide wisdom and protection for them, and deliverance. So when we call out to God, it must be a passionate plea. But it also must be a persistent plea. Because as you're going through this psalm, you get the sense that this is not a crisis that is just for a few minutes. The psalmist and the writer of this is reflecting on a, a long crisis they've been dealing with. Uh, And you see this as you look at verse 8. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Uh, The sense of of duration. And I think sometimes when when we call out to God, maybe we do use a passionate plea, but I question sometimes how persistent we are. Uh, Do we persevere in prayer? Because as you read this lament, this calling out to God in the midst of a crisis i don't know about you but as i'm reading it i get the feeling that this person who's calling out is going to continue to call out until God either acts or till their life is taken like like there is a perseverance to this it's not just oh, i don't know what to do god help me oh, nothing happens i guess i'll have to try to figure out my own way to get through this um, and it makes me wonder sometimes, even as as we pray about things in our life, is sometimes the reason we might feel that the prayer hasn't been answered is because we haven't persevered in prayer. And we're not suggesting here, and neither is the psalmist suggesting, that you can manipulate God, that you can just keep going to him and finally he'll be like, oh, that's it. Fine, if you're going to keep asking, I'm just going to give it to you. But it is saying to us that we should persevere in our plea to God to where either the prayer is answered, maybe not how we initially prayed it, or that God changes our prayer about the situation. But it should be very clear, we pray until we see the hand of God intervene. And that's what's involved here in this first step, to call out to God. Notice in the Psalm verses 23 and 24, it says, in the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, oh my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. And you get the sense that the writer here is saying, "God, you have humbled me by this crisis." And I think the more that you have maybe read about COVID nineteen, uh, we are reminded that this should be a very humbling thing, not just for the unsaved to realize that they they cannot design the world how they want it to be, that the security is not in the things that they initially thought it was, but it should be a very humbling thing for us as Christians to be praying that this would remind us of our need to live in a spirit of repentance. It should remind us to pray for the salvation persistently of one another. And in many ways to call out to God in a passionate and persistent manner. And so as the Psalmist finds themselves and the community of God facing this crisis, The first step to not being overwhelmed by it would be to call out to the Lord. So that would be the first step. Call out to God. Call out to the Lord. But then there's a second step in here, and that is confess your fears and anxieties to God. Confess your fears and anxieties to God. There's something about the laments in the Bible. Uh, Think of Psalms. You can think of the Book of Lamentations itself. The laments are difficult to read uh, because they're so honest. And I wonder if sometimes we have somehow or other thought that in praying to God that you can't be honest with him, that that you can't just brutally open up and say, God, I don't understand this. I'm really struggling with this. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about this. I'm fearful about this. Because as you look at this particular lament, it is not a lack of faith to throw yourself upon God and to acknowledge your fears and anxieties before him. This is an evidence that this person is questioning the existence of God because clearly it's directed to God. So it is actually an act of greater faith to say, God, here I am looking at this, and here's what scares me. Here are the questions I have, and I'm bringing them before you. So as we think of that, you notice now as this lament continues in verses 3 through 11, you have a series of very gut-wrenching emotions that are revealed. And, and again, I, I just want you to think, how would it be in church if you heard someone get up to pray and they prayed like this? Because I think our first thought would be we would think, well, their faith isn't really strong. You know, they're, they're kind of saying to God, I, I feel like my life is, you know, like a vapor. It's going to end soon. Where's the hope? Where's the encouragement? I think we would listen to that and think, oh, they're, they really need some help but actually this is the, the, the sign of a robust faith, a faith that is not afraid to bring before God our fears and our anxieties. But I want you to take a close look at verses three through 11 because the way this takes place is, is in sort of three different forms, three different complaints that are raised. And I'm using the word complain here, not in a negative sense, but to be open and honest before God. And so in verses three through five, some have called this the I complaints. In other words, they're personal. So this part of the lament is a personal looking at a crisis. And so you notice in verses three through five, the way this personal struggle comes out and is expressed is in a series of metaphors my days vanish like smoke. So think of how clear these explanations are. When, when I say to you, you know, it, it vanishes like smoke, I think all of us can track that and say, it passes quickly. And for many of us, as we get older and we hit our birthday and milestones, we think, wow, how fast the years go, like in, in the blink of an eye. Well, the writer here is saying, you know, my, my days right now, in the midst of this struggle, they're, they're just like passing by so quickly. They vanish like smoke. Notice the next metaphor. My bones burn like glowing embers. Uh, now we don't really know what is this referring to. It could be referring to some kind of physical issue. Uh, maybe that it's the, the effect of a fever upon this particular individual. Maybe it's used more figuratively. Just the sense of feeling a general weakness uh, and, and being undone as the lament was titled, one who is faint. But then you have another metaphor that comes up as we follow the verse four. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. Think of just how fragile and weak grass is of you have ever tried to plant grass seed, you are well aware of that. can't be walking on it. you've got to be careful, don't mow it yet till it starts to sprout and has some stability to it. Uh, you know he compares his, his own life and how he's feeling with being like a blade of grass. Uh, it dries up, it withers. and then he says, "I forget to eat. Ask yourself, what would that convey? Someone is in the midst of a crisis, they lose track of time, Uh, food is not important to them when you're dealing with much bigger issues in your life. What What a glimpse into the personal struggles of the one who is lifting this up to God, who is crying out to God and is now confessing their fears and anxieties through these very simple, straightforward metaphors. So that covers the the I complaints. But then if you look at verses six through eight, you have they complaints. In other words, now it shifts a little bit to how the enemies of this individual and those circumstances, how that is affecting them, how the actions of others are impacting and bringing fears and anxiety. And so in this, you see some, again, interesting metaphors. I am like a desert owl. Uh, Now you may wonder why is that a picture of one who's struggling? Well, it is true. Typically in the Bible, the owls are associated with the thought of judgment or vulnerability. Not, Not what we might think of. When we think of an owl, we maybe think of commercials that emphasize wisdom Knowledge, something like that. That was not what was associated with an owl at the writing of this song. So here is one who says, I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable. Uh, I'm confused by all this. I, I don't understand it. I'm overcome by it. I don't see an end in sight. But then it goes on and says, I am like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I become like a bird alone on a roof. I have a metaphor, I'm like a bird on a roof. Not not a picture here of contentment, but of one of isolation, loneliness. Now that should immediately resonate with what we hear many people saying about the social distancing, working from home, I feel isolated. And even though we can have the technology where we can see each other's pictures, uh interact that way, we know it's not the same. And it's not meant to be the same. But for this individual now, they're compounding their own sense of isolation. Who, who is there to help them? And even maybe following the thought of many of the Puritans, that it's not unusual for God's people to sometimes go through spells of spiritual desertion. In other words, they know that God has never left them, but it feels like God is distant. It feels like, as this psalm began, it feels like he has hidden his face from you. What a a brutally honest crying out to God and admitting one's fears, thoughts, and anxieties. So we've looked at the a complaint, the I complaints, personal ones, the they complaints. One other they complaint is in verse 8 about his enemies. He says, they rail against me and use my name as a curse. This would indicate a duration of this crisis, because what, what he's actually saying is, I've been going through this so long that others look at me and they say, that's what it looks like. To be abandoned by God. And so they've used my name as sort of a synonym to describe that condition to others. It'd be the equivalent. If I say this name, I'm guaranteeing most of us will all think the same thing. If I say Benedict Arnold, you may know little about history, but the thought that comes to mind is probably traitor. If I say Judas. You think deceiver, betrayer. That's the equivalent of what the writer is saying here. My name has become associated with this to my enemies. What a picture, again, of a feeling isolated, a feeling overwhelmed by the crisis that is surrounding them. And then we go to verses 9 through 11 and it brings it to the you complaints. So we've had personal, we've had now in terms of how it's affecting my enemies, but now it turns to the you complaints. In other words, these are theological because he brings this to the Lord. And you see this in verses nine through 10. Notice he says, for I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears, picture of being miserable. Uh, But then it says, because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. It's very clear that your wrath and you are directed to the Lord, are directed to Yahweh. In other words, is it possible that in this lament, that the people of Israel and the writer of this psalm are saying, God, we know that all things come from your hand. Even crises, even what we might term disasters, that they come from your hand because you're sovereign, because you control everything. Could we say the same thing about COVID-19? In other words, that has come from the hand of God. Not that it's a judgment upon everyone who is a sinner, because by God's grace, people recover. Christians and unbelievers have gotten the virus and died, and others have not gotten the virus. But if everything is under God's control, that even disasters are not surprises. They are a part of God's infinite and glorious plan, where he is able to take even what is the consequences of sin in our world and use it to draw others to himself. It reminds me of what you see in the opening book of Job, where Job, sitting on the ground, uh, covered in dust, His head shaved. It says he falls down in worship. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is acknowledging this very principle in this lament. Where the theological argument does have to come back to God, you are sovereign. So even this has come from your hand. And so we've looked just briefly here at what do you do when you find yourself, whatever that crisis might be, whether it's COVID, whether it's something else that's unraveling your personal life or family life, uh, or even in your church, what do you do? Well, you first call out to God. Secondly, you confess your fears and your anxieties. And then finally, we come to step three. Experience comfort in the unchanging God. Experience comfort in the unchanging God. Because now you notice in this lament in verse 12, the attention deliberately shifts. It shifts away from the complaints, from the expression of what is real and going on, to now turning back, and focusing on the unchanging God. And so notice in verses 12 through 13, we'll pull out here where the focus is directed to. Verse 12, but you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. You're renowned endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Now the phrase "to an appointed time" means this is no surprise. There's nothing that God has to try to backpedal and and figure out and try to fix because He didn't anticipate it. Everything happens according to God's perfect will, and His will is unchanging. And so you see that this prayer now moves us to look upward and just think for a moment, as it says in verse twelve, "The Lord." Is enthroned in the heavens. As much as we've heard talk of COVID 19, a reminder to every Christian should be COVID 19 doesn't reign, doesn't sit enthroned in heaven. Only Christ, the Father, the Son reign eternally. What a way to project our attention off of the crisis. Unto the one who is crowned king of kings and lord of lords. But then look further at verses 15 through 17. It says, the nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Once again, our attention is directed to the character, the attributes of God. Uh, the nations will fear him. And one of the ways we can, I think, best pray for our world, whether it be because of the racial tensions right now uh, that we've talked about, whether it be as places reopen and we look at what will life look like post-COVID, that we'd be praying that for those who visit of Christ, they would be scared and fearful enough to realize that their comfort is not going to be found in anyone or anything but in knowing Jesus Christ. And that we would be prepared to be able to share with others what that means. Because you see here, the fact is that God, because he is enthroned, he will be worshiped. And at times we do tend, all of us, probably look to our circumstances quicker than we should look to God. Notice as well in verse 16, the promise of rebuilding Zion, the people of God. And we have a projection here way off into the future. We we are still living, waiting for that completion of God's kingdom and God's people. But it is certain And there will be crises in our world. God will both give and take. But this tells us, this is where it's all headed. And there's a certainty to that, that is not going to be affected, delayed, or impeded, or prevented by anything that man does. Then notice verse 17, what a comfort here from how, this lament began, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. To those who call out to him persistently in perseverance, in acknowledgement of their need for him, God is promising, I I will hear, I will answer. What, What a comfort that should be to each one of us in Christ Jesus. Well, then let's go down to verses 19 through 22, continuing the thought of how we can only experience in comfort in the unchanging God in a changing world. Verse 19 the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high, from heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. I don't know if you think of anything immediately when I hear verse 19, the Lord looked down from a sanctuary. It reminds me of when the people of Israel were in Egypt and God saw how they were being treated. He saw how they were abused and oppressed and he delivered them. What a picture to us of how God sent Christ as he was aware of our desperate need for salvation. And in his perfect timing, Christ was sent. In other words, a reminder to us how we worship a God who is full of compassion and mercy. And to know that those characteristics are unchanging. That nothing will diminish them or increase them. They're 100% complete in the very being of God. And then scroll down to verses 25 through 27 as the emphasis on comfort and assurance is driven to the unchanging, immutable God. It says, in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hand. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. It's interesting to note that verses 25 through 27 of this psalm appear in the book of Hebrews, which Tony referenced earlier as a book that he likes a lot. Uh, I know Karen's reading through that as well right now. Uh, And in Hebrews, when it's quoted, it's quoted in reference to Jesus Christ who is superior to anyone who came before him, because unlike the prophets, Jesus Christ is unchangeable. And so we see here this reminder that in Christ we have one who not just looked down from heaven, but came to become like us in every way, yet remained without sin, so that he might Bring us ultimate deliverance and salvation, not just from a momentary crisis or a physical crisis we're going through, but from the crisis and devastation of sin. And this is how the laments often go. They start out with speaking about this urgent cry to God, then they are brutally honest, where they confess one's anxiety. One's fears, but then those fears are brought and lifted up, and then a picture of God on His throne completely changes our perspective on that crisis, and we realize that even in that crisis, even in these days of desperation, there is comfort in the One who is unchanging. None of us know what the new norm is going to look like, or even if there ever will be something you can refer to as normal again. But you can be certain that no matter what happens, that your security and certainty in uncertain times can be found in no one or nowhere else but in the immutable God. And that's the God that we continually need to come to.